Hi, this is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks. In this podcast, we talk to people who live on the Outer Banks, and through their stories, we'll explore what makes this place so special. So if you downloaded this podcast to find out where the goal is hidden, my apologies. But if you want to meet the people we treasure on this sandbar, stick around. I'm sure you'll enjoy their stories of history, local personalities, and community. Today we have a special guest. Daryl and I go way back to the summer of 1994 when we both worked at a water sports business in Duff. He started coming here as a child and has since held several jobs on the Outer Banks allowing him to meet a wide range of people. He's currently a manager at Jeanette's Pier where he gets a front row seat to the Atlantic Ocean on a daily basis. In this podcast, Daryl tells some great stories about the people he's met and the things he's done on the Outer Banks. Stick around and listen in. All right, Daryl. I got Daryl Law with me. Thanks for coming out here, Daryl. Hey, great to see you today. Awesome. Um, so Daryl and I go way back to, uh, geez, uh, the early 90s, and we started working together back then. And he grew up in Charlottesville, and I also lived in Charlottesville briefly, so we kind of had a little connection there. And I know that your family started coming down here a long time ago. What, what time was that? Uh, you know, they uh, made an, an investment in a piece of property in the late 50s, early 60s, and uh, subsequently my uncle built a cottage there. So I, I, my first memories are coming down with my family and everything, you know, probably 65, 68, somewhere in there. Wow. Yeah. And so what was it like coming down on vacation? Uh, you know, what were you doing you know, around 1970, 75? Oh, man, you know, we loved it. We called it going to the beach. We just absolutely loved it. It would be my sisters and I, along with uh, my first cousins and uh, their mom and my mom. And we would we would come down for the week and uh, the dads would join us when they finished the work week and they would, you know, come down later. But we would uh, spend a lot of the, the, the bungalow was on East Durham Street in Avalon subdivision of Kill Double Hills. So we spent a lot of time at Avalon Fishing Pier and uh, the, the little market across the street was somewhere we were actually allowed to walk to, which, you know, right. was a big deal. And, uh, you know, your dad would give you a quarter and you could go up there and spend it. <laughs> it's quite and, a budget. Yeah. Um, and one of our favorite things besides zero bars, I don't know if you've had a zero bar, they're pretty tasty, but uh, were these Boston Wood airplanes. And, um, you know, the, the whole <clears throat> first in flight thing is... You know, pretty neat because the monument's really not that far from the Wright Brothers Memorial Monument's really not that far from the bungalow. And anyway, we would go up there and get these balsa wood planes and walk them back to the house. And, the, you know, these little kits that uh, make these little teeny uh, balsa wood planes, we'd put them together and throw them around. And uh, we'd go back in the dunes and, uh, you know, play with the a little matchbox cars or whatever. But, uh, um, the, the frogs or toads would always migrate to the to the outdoor shower area the concrete was a cool damp place and right. and we would catch them and put them in our sand pails and <laughs> right yeah but that was the big entertainment that was <laughs> and uh along the same lines we would take the pails down the plastic uh pails down to the to the beach at fifth street and uh of course we had to bring the sand fleas back after we dug them up you know so we put them in the bucket and bring them back right. and we'd have them all week and you know, the parents were like, hey, no, you can't take those, you know, can't take that home because we want to <laughs> load it back in the wagon and drive right. back. But, uh, oh, there were great days. We used to go, I think I mentioned the other day, we used to go down to Forbes Candy. That was one of the biggest highlights of the trip. And 
And then, you know, dad would buy you one, you know, type of candy. And for me, it was that rock candy that they... Pure sugar. Yes. Form on the little string and I would get the clear one or the brown sugar one. Oh man, that stuff was good. <laughs> and then they would typically splurge for a box of saltwater taffy. So that was one of our big outings during the week and uh, try to make that last all week long, <laughs> right. you know. But, uh, so, so fast forward a couple mm -hmm, years. Sure. I mean, was, so this was an annual thing, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Once we owned the cot, yes. Because you, you never the missed a summer, more or less. No, we based no. We um, so to make it all work, they rented it out. It was in a rental program, and they would block out July Fourth week. So that's when I was coming and making these memories with my cousins. But spring and fall, it wasn't. People didn't understand that the shoulder season was good back then. They didn't. They just didn't come. You know, it was Memorial Day to Labor Day, so we got to come in the spring. And a lot of times that was put the you know tar on the roof or replace the screens right. or some painting right and then the fall is more you know let's enjoy uh fall is beautiful here it always has been we would do a lot of walking on the beach and uh one night um my cousins and i found a little piece of plywood it was literally i think like a shutter had blown off of one of the old uh motels in that stretch there near the sea ranch and um i swear it was pushing midnight it was about a full moon and we decided to learn how to uh, skimboard right then and there. And we took this <laughs> dilapidated piece of plywood and threw it down in the swash, ran and jumped on it, and yeah, it worked. And we were in our blue jeans, Levi's blue jeans. Of course. You know. So uh, it was a lot of, lot of cool things. You know, we always flew an American flag on the cottage, and you know, taking, a, taking an outdoor shower was a big novelty. You know, yeah, we, really. we didn't have a screen around it, so you kept your bins, your trunks on, and um, you know, there weren't, there weren't really places to go to eat. So, you know, we were, you know, hang, you know, stay pretty close to the house. Sure. Uh, a lot of times we would, uh, walk over to the other side of the island. So you would, uh, cross over and go down West Durham and get on Bay Drive and, which is Bayview Drive, you know, technically. And you walk down to Holiday Marina and, uh, <clears throat> which later really gained fame when it was Soundside, uh, restaurant and bar or what was that called like a folk house folk ale house or something right I but about uh, that a little bit yeah um we would go there and, and watch the sunset and we even went fishing there we picked we gathered clams there at times but uh um dad every once in a while would rent us a surrey bicycle which was a four wheeled right. uh surrey and we would ride around on the the roads were all concrete back then i don't know how many people remember that but they were literally concrete slaps funny they uh, weren't very wide. <laughs> and so, was this on the beach road or Durham or like on the back street? No, streets? this is on the back, on the side streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really, honestly cannot remember right off what the uh, main roads were. But uh, if you go down into some of the sleepier parts, I think it's Dock Street uh, in Avalon, it's still got the concrete. Is that right? Yeah. Funny. Yeah. And so fast forward a little bit, you, uh -huh. you go to college and... Yeah. Uh, somewhere in between college or right after college, you, mm -hmm. you decide to move down to the Outer Banks. I did. I actually moved here uh, before, during, and after college. Gotcha. I really uh, saw myself becoming a carpenter. I worked that first year. Uh, we also were framing a house up in Duck uh, that summer, so I bounced back and forth. And yeah, uh, What was Duck like back then? Nothing. No. <laughs> There's nothing there. I mean, nothing. It, uh, there was a bell, a huge church bell across the street from the church. I mean, there was nothing. There was no winks. There was no, the 
literally nothing there. Uh, the was Scarborough the Lane. Still yeah, the campground was there. That was a big part of my life that first summer or two. So I, um, at the Golden Strands, got hooked up with uh, Carpentry Crew, uh, Joe Finn, and uh, he was, uh, uh, his girlfriend was Debbie uh, Scarborough of uh, Scarborough Lane. Uh, that's her parents there on the right hand side when you pass the Greenleaf right. Gallery. Uh, and uh, the end of their street was the campground. And uh, so when I came back from Christmas that year, I went to work for him, for, with Joe. And so I was going up there all the time because that's where uh, he lived and stuff. And, you know, I was 18. I, I, I had my driver's license in my pocket, but I did not have a car. So all of this was done on the fly with a tool belt and my lunch uh, playmate cooler I had for my lunch and uh, usually catching rides with, the, with oh, the rest of the crew. I was thumbing and then yes, yeah. it was a mix. Yeah, typically the ride home was with the crew, but uh, getting there uh, on time and you know with all your stuff was on you and and back then people hitchhiked all the time. It was no big deal. Um, so yeah, we ended up. Uh, uh, getting a job building what turned out to be the very first rental houses up on in Kerala. Uh, uh, we, we subsequently after this did build some in Sanderling. Sanderling was the final frontier. Um, that same winter, we actually January 2nd of that year, we started one. I think it was phase, they were all done in phase, phase five of Sanderling or something like that. And, um, oh gosh, I'll never forget, uh, all of us had at least one dog. So we had like this crew of like six guys, seven guys, eight guys, depending on how many showed up. And Joe had like three dogs. And uh, it was crazy. There was all these ponds there. And they would actually duck hunt in the morning before we started working. And so at the job site, it wasn't uncommon because the Canada geese would fly over as well. And it, honestly, this is going to sound crazy in this day and age, but it wasn't uncommon for uh, there to be shotguns leaned up in the corners of the house we were framing exactly. while we were working. <laughs> and so the dogs are down, you know, pack of 10 dogs underneath. We're up there, got the noisy radio on and your ocean front. I mean, I thought it was great. I, mean, I, I, I just, yeah. I was like, yeah, I made it. But, oh, that one year it had snowed and, uh, you know, I was the lowest guy on the totem pole and, uh, you know, we get there and the plywood's covered in snow and I'm trying to knock the snow off and I carry the first sheet over and they want to know why I'm not carrying two sheets. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was pre pretty physically fit at that point. And, uh, but you're walking through the sand and it's cold out and you put a lot of bundle up, a lot of clothes, you know, it restricts your movement. Anyway. So, so when you were working up there, was there still a, a gate up by the there sand? There was, line? yes. Thank you for bringing me back on track. I was going to go there. Um, so after we did the handful of houses there in uh, Sanderling, uh, we, we landed this house up in, in uh, Kerala proper. It was on Coral, which was the, fir is the first right past Winks. Well, Winks wasn't there. <laughs> there was a guard gate on the county line. So when you're driving north, you go through Sanderling and there's that last S turn right. right there. You had to stop and you had to prove you had business up there or you couldn't go up. There's, right. You just couldn't go up there. And um, so, you know, we got the house started. I'll never forget they brought the, uh, all the lumber package down from Norfolk from, I think it was called A and B Lumber. And it was like in a box truck, man. And they backed it up and the floor was huge tongue and groove. Uh, 
timbers and it was very interesting and it was in the woods i mean we were in the middle of nowhere i mean nowhere <laughs> you had to pack your own lunch didn't yes yeah, so norris austin had the post office he was a postmaster and um in at his place you could get a stewart sandwich which is wrapped oh, right, in plastic right, right. okay um you could get a coke you could get marlboro reds you could get newport uh, menthol cigarettes um I think you could get like a Snickers, maybe some nabs, and I had some. Where was this at? I think it's behind where the post office is now. Okay, I believe. I'm not sure if it's still there. And and th and this was the post office selling mm -hmm. these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. the sundries. Yep. So um, yeah, it was great. So eventually, I moved in to a hunting trailer there um, with uh, Butch, uh, my buddy Butch Graves. He was on the job crew and in Krala. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I bought a van from Debbie Scarborough's brother, who was Scarborough Garage, that was pretty well known around here at the time. And anyway, uh, so I ended up bunking with Butch while we were building the house. And in the evenings, man, our, literally our entertainment was like, you could walk through the woods to the oceanfront. I mean, wow. it was really neat. It was a special time. And um, I'll never forget, we, my P.O. box was Kerala number six <laughs> so after i got this uh you know i don't remember how much i got a hold of her but she had been in england and london at school and she had written me a letter and of course i never went to check the mail i was like I, you know who's gonna send me something so i finally check it and we get this letter from denise and she's coming down and it says the next day she's gonna right. be there so butch and i you know hygiene wasn't you know, really at the top of our list too much so sure. The trailer didn't really have running water. Uh, you know, we had a rain barrel and that's really all we needed. And, uh, you know, we don't have to get to the nitty gritty, but so Butch and I went to the parts store to fix the commode situation. Um, and the parts store was the Corova dump. So <laughs> instead of leaving Corolla and heading south for Ace or Kellogg's right. or somewhere like that. Which didn't exist. We drove north on the beach to the dump and got the hose clamps and garden hoses and everything we needed to do to pass And that up. was in Corova? Yeah. Wasn't that part of that ranch? Ernie's? Might have been, yeah. <laughs> Ernie's, yeah. It might, I, you know, you're talking about 1982, man. That's yeah. a lot of water under the bridge there. But there was but, a but big, you just... huge dump up there that they've since cleaned up. And so that's yeah. where we went to get the parts. I, th I think there's some... Some still some remnants up there. Yeah, Ernie's place got a little messy over the years. Right. He had a hundred year lease, is what I heard. Wow. And uh, so, I mean, you say you were basically just picking for parts, basically. Yeah, we were up there getting. Yeah, we just. Oh, it's just open, open air. I mean, it yeah. wasn't. There was no fence. There was no signage. It just was there. So yeah, Butch helped me patch it up, and lo and behold, my sister did show up, and we had to put the plywood floor in the bathroom and reset the. Yeah, toilet and get the water on it and stuff. But she did show up and she loved it. We had a blast. Um, well, Beach had a huge bonfire, you know. Right. There's no one. You, I mean, all there is there is the stars. It, it was the no wild, one. wild west. It, it was, was in the, the east. wild, wild west. And I had grown up in suburbia. Yeah. And had been, you know. I'm glad you brought that up because I I'm, I grew up in suburban, right outside of DC Beltway in sure. Summer Spring, and you know, to. You know, we just don't walk out of our front door and see foxes, deer, and maybe a coyote. I mean, yeah. well, I mean that's pretty crazy. Or we don't hike over to the beach and 
see dolphin. I mean, it just doesn't happen on a daily no. basis when you're no. in the suburbs, you know? So when you come here, it's like, whoa. It was really culture shock for me. I'll never forget. Uh, Butch was into hunting a little bit and he had his shotgun and the, uh, uh, that didn't last long. There's not a, the, the, the Corolla rabbits back then, they, they weren't real fat. There wasn't a whole lot of... <laughs> Pretty uh, lean. Yeah, you, you weren't going to get much off of that. So uh, uh, there were a lot of hot dogs and bologna in our diet sure. at the time, you know. But we did build that house. We finished it. They, they went on to build some more. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was my big time I spent up there. I uh, ended up uh, meeting some... Uh, a crew from JMU that next summer, I met a, a young lady down at the Sea Ranch and, and they lived on West Third and I started, that's the year I, I learned how to surf there at the Sea Ranch and sort of changed my direction a little bit and then I, and then I went off to, to college, I went off to Guilford and I did work here in the, in the summers and then I ended up coming back, you know, I loved it so much and came back and I've been working in community newspapers the majority of the time, and, and along with the aquariums, I've done some public relations work for them, including Jeanette's Pier, where I work now. Right. Well, let's uh, transition over to, like, uh, your diving. I know you're a certified scuba diver mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just, you know, maybe quickly tell me how you got in there, and then let's sure. let's share some of the uh, cool dives that you've done here. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And since I just mentioned the aquarium, I, I would have to say that I really honed my... Uh, diving skills at the aquarium under the uh, tutelage of uh, Patrick Murphy, who really taught me how to be a good diver and uh, dove in the shark tank 121 times. And my partner was Mike Rimmage, who's the director of Jeanette's Pier, where I work now. Uh, but that was at the end of my dive career. I haven't done much diving since then, but to get into it all, we uh, took uh, Randy Spears was the gentleman's name, and I took basic scuba. I think that was the summer of 83 and this guy Doug DeShields was my dive partner. He was a carpenter I worked for that summer. We were building one right up the road here on NC-12 in, in Southern Shores. And uh, sure, so we um, we were going to go, there's a there's a, a borrow pit that's full of water in Curry Tuck where you a lot of the diving divers go for that first open water dive. Right. So after we did all our book work and all that stuff, we were diving in a pool at the Journey's End, which is where um, uh, the restaurant is now. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Michael's restaurant up Tortugas here. Tortugas or Rundown? Rundown. There was a motel there called Journey's Inn and that a pool. We did all our pool stuff there. But So we're in a van and we're heading over to Curry Tuck and we go past the Sea Ranch or that area, general vicinity where the Triangle Wrecks are and the instructors are like foaming at the mouth and they like park the van and they're like, hold on a second. They run over and it's crystal clear conditions. Right. right. So we abort the trip to <laughs> Curry Tuck where the safe dive was, and we go out in the ocean. So we drop down, it's in between First Street and Second Street. It's basically due east of the water tower in Kilowell Hills. Right. Uh, so we get out there and you're buddied up, you know, and Doug was my buddy and he'd already been there and so snorkeling. And so we go out and yeah, I've been waiting. I've been watching Jockey Snow all my life, and here I'm finally here, you know. And the big we, chance. The, yeah, man, I'm just like, I'm so pumped up, and I've got my dive knife on, and I've got my tag here, uh, watch my grandma had given me. And so we're dropping down to the bottom, and the first daggone thing I see is a Budweiser can rolling around in the sand. Right. And then there's like a pair of Fruit of the Loom underwear. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Pristine man. conditions. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, that was a wonderful experience. I just really um, 
you know, got the bug that year. That, that, that wreck is, uh, depending on the tide and where you are, what you're standing on, if you're standing on the bottom, it's like 20, 25 feet deep, maybe 30. But if you're standing on the rack at a low tide or something, you know, it's, mm, you can almost stand on breathable air. So, you yeah. know, it's not that deep on the higher structure, but it is a great beginning dive. And that's called a beach dive when you, when you, you know, put your gear on on the beach and walk out, swim out to the rack. And the lifeguards or someone typically marks it during the summer. Yeah, and it's very popular amongst the locals. Mm-hmm. Even I know there's guys that will spearfish it you yeah. know, throughout the summer just yep, to they catch do. some dinner. They do. Uh, yep. Uh, so then from there, we, um, my partner Doug, uh, who unfortunately has, has passed away since that time, um, he turned the dive instructors on to what's known now as the Lynx Rack. And we went out there, and that was a beautiful dive. Oh my gosh, I had such a good time on that one. And um, I subsequently went back to, so that was, a, that was a scuba dive, but then we subsequently went back and snorkeled it. And um, I tried uh, pole spear fishing, uh, which is a line sling. And I was chasing this uh, bluefish. I shot him at him, but I bounced off of him. You know? He's like <laughs> looking at me like, eh, yeah, yeah, nothing hurt. So he's like swimming away from the wreck, and I'm just trying so hard. I mean, I could really hold my breath back then. I mean, I had done the competitive swimming, and I was pretty good at holding my breath. And I was chasing this fish, and sure enough, I did run out of air. And I, you, you taught to look up, reach up, and I looked up, and I reached up, and there was a school of rays over my head. Right. And it was like carpet, man. That's there was like thirty <laughs> of them in this huge diamond formation, and man, I wasn't about to cut surface through them. So I just, you know held my breath, held my breath, held my breath, and they finally passed, and I went up. But that, that was a cool wreck. I've only been out there a few times. And then I did do the Huron once. That's just north of Nags Head Pier. Yeah. Um, there was a little tiny piece of a wreck just south of Avalon Pier, and my friend Big Bob uh, Newman took me there. He kept laughing. He said, he said, I always find cash on this wreck. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And sure enough, we get out there. There's a lot of like, I think it's called eel grass. There's all these grasses on it. Yeah. And um, yeah, people coming out of the pier house with their change. Right. Their their dollar bills would would like blow up. I guess. I mean, I don't know, but we did. Yeah. We found we found a couple of dollar bills out there, which is, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Did, did, does anybody dive down by um, Hatter off of Hatter's Island? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, like right off the beach kind of thing. Oh, I don't know if there's beach dive wrecks. I don't. I've never heard of. Oh well, there's the boiler wreck, which is across from the ranger station there at uh, P Island area, where that uh, yeah. restroom area is. There's okay. a wreck there. Okay. I went fishing there. We were actually doing some collecting for the aquarium, and um, we were trying to get some, some sharks, and like we put out the bait ball, and uh, this dolphin fish came over immediately, and I had this little teeny trout rig on my little teeny trout rod, and I pitched it right to it, and man, he took it. We caught that thing. It was just so much fun. Um, you say dolphin? Is that mahi mahi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to just release it back, but uh, funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, diving's been a big thing down here, and uh, um, you know, any day of summer where there's any viz at all, you can go by the Triangle Racks, and there'll be people out there, and right. it's, it's, it's actually fun to snorkel. Um, just snorkel. I I. Owning Kitty Hawk Water Sports, I occasionally get the call of, hey, is there a place that does snorkeling? And I guess the short answer is not really. Yeah. Because, you know, you need, I guess most people want to do something like 
in the keys where you're in three feet of water and just kind of yeah. putting around in real crystal clear water. But you know, we we just don't have crystal clear three no. feet of water in a, on a consistent basis. You know, we really don't. You just you just really have to have your gear ready and you have to keep an eye on it. And you definitely need to go with someone. Don't you know? Go alone. Um, but uh, there are some wrecks. There's a uh, you know, up in Kerala, and uh, there's, uh, we just, uh, my sister was just staying at the Croton Surf Club there, and there's a wreck right there. In fact, we were sitting up in the unit looking down, and there, you can see a piece of a wreck right there, which, that's what, my post probably seven or something, the Croton Surf Club. It's where quagmires and, or excuse me, uh, papagayos, and, uh, right. was it quagmires? Yeah, quagmires was there. Speaking of quagmires, did you ever get to go there? <laughs> Uh, I think I have been there. Okay. Um, I know you had mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about some of the old haunts uh, around sure. the beach. Uh, that was one of the good ones. That, for me personally, that first summer down here, that first winter, 81, 82, that was the place to be on Sunday afternoon. Is that right? Papagayos, it was called. Right. And I think there was also one in um, Chapel Hill, uh, Papagayos in Chapel Hill. But, uh, you know, it was margaritas by the pitcher and uh, music <laughs> and... Um, that was the place to go. Yeah. Uh, uh, very cool. Um, and that was, like I had mentioned, that's kind of the time period I started surfing a little bit. And uh, I ended up getting up with some, some guys that were, you know, had from Elizabeth City that had been doing the surfing thing down here for a long time. And that was one of their rituals after having a good surf down near Nags Head Pier. We would uh, all meet back up at Papagayos and, and uh, get the margaritas and get the burritos or... Uh, you know, whatever, and it's just good memories. Yeah, you, I know you mentioned this before to me, but um, you've moved down here one year, and your rent was just something crazy, like fifty bucks a week or something like that. Oh yeah, that that was my first summer. Yeah, that was. <laughs> was it fifty bucks a week? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny. So yeah, uh, you had your boombox and your tool belt, so, and fifty um, bucks, and you were good to go. For whatever reason, I was I was ready to leave Charlottesville when I turned eighteen, and I turned eighteen into May and graduated the first week of June, and I had already lined up a uh, a job down here, and we we went on beach from being from Charlottesville, we went on beach week to Virginia Beach and Sandbridge, and so during the middle of the week that I was on beach week, my friend Susie Congard brought me down here, and I met with Craig Saunders, and we shook on it. So I went back home, and I I, I made a little money working construction for my uncle, and I my mom gave me a one way ride down here, <laughs> paid my that fifty dollars for me right. at the Blue Box across from Atlantis. And um, that was it, man. I had the boom box, the skim board, uh, the hammer, tape measure, uh, some board shorts. I mean, jeez. Oh, fishing rod and tackle box. That was, yeah. that was really it, man. I mean, I was I was. You really didn't there. need much more than that. No, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, the whole Atlantis thing was, uh, that was uh, for a young man. Uh, you know, it was, you only had to be 18 to drink beer back then. Right. And, uh uh the whole Atlantis thing was pretty um enticing also <laughs> gotcha. so i think i did it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 31 nights in a row i went there did you get an award for that no but i fell asleep on the scaffolding <laughs> on a saturday morning at the duck house that we were building 
And there weren't any guardrails. There's no there's no safety rope when you fall asleep right. about 35 <laughs> foot up on the pump jack scaffold board. And that was it. That was the last. I didn't I didn't go that night. So right. I found some other entertainment. <laughs> right. So uh, had a good time, but uh, you know had you know too much of a good time maybe. And uh, but yeah, Lance was the place to be on Sundays. They would have dime time. They would tap a keg of beer and have volleyball. Um, on Sunday mornings early, man, it was crazy. And like I said, go to Pop Gallo's on Sunday evenings. But uh, there was Foosball Palace. You know, if you wanted to play games, you could go over there and play pool or pinball. Uh, was that know. on the ocean? Mm-hmm. Yep. As part of the pier? Or? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, no, it's, uh, it was south, immediately south of Nags Head Pier. There's five cottages that match there now, and that was the property. Gotcha. So, but the foosball and the last were, yes, were attached. Uh, gotcha. And, um, yeah, kind of wild times. And then there were quite a few characters living at the blue box and I got to know them yeah. like hang gliding, uh, instructors and, you know, uh, kind of surf bums and, uh, right. it was a wide variety of characters. Awesome. Some, still, some might have even called them scallywags, you know. I'm not, but, uh, there's still a few characters on this beach. I think. Yeah. Yeah, there was, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Delbert. He was always a fixture at, at the surfing er, surfing area. We were talking about the triangle wrecks. Right near there was the Sea Ranch and basically where I learned how to surf. There, it used to be really good there that summer, the 80, 82 summer. And uh, Delbert was the king of the waves, man. You didn't want to get in his way. And, uh, yeah. and he would just tell you straight up when you got there, if I drop in on one, I can't stop. you know. And he would just <laughs> run you over on this huge ugly board that most people would have put in the barn, you know? Right. But, uh, he was, he was pretty cool. I got to know him over the years and, uh, uh, um, anyway, that was, that was kind of the, the central, central part of my learning how to surf was right there at the sea ranch and the triangle wrecks. But, and, and coincidentally, our, our, both our cottages that my parents owned were fairly close to that same general area. Right. So, so you're pretty familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward to more of, you know, your professional career. You, mm-hmm. you did, um, you worked in print media for quite a while. I did. I and, did. And uh, I know you met a, a bunch of cool people there. Um, I know uh, Omi Tillett. Yes. Think, um, tell, tell me a little bit about what you sure, sure, remember about Omi Tillett. Um, you know, he uh, is a pretty famous uh, sea captain uh, for the charter sport fishing industry and uh, I went on his boat as an observer and uh, when you're the photographer reporter guy it opens a lot of doors to going on adventures and, and one day I got assigned to go out with him and uh, uh, Jimmy uh, Rule uh, was his mate at the time and unfortunately he's passed away as well but uh, and so is Omi unfortunately but we went to sea that day, and the men on board were treated to unbelievable fishing. Yeah. Unbelievable. For the people that hadn't been, you, you leave Oregon Inlet, you go, you steam like, I don't know, what is it, an hour and a half, two hours to the Gulf Stream, which is, I think it's about 40 miles. So you steam out, and they're looking at the temperature change, temperature change, and when the temperature does change, there's typically a little grass line of... Uh, uh, sargazzo weed and, and whatnot. Um, there's a debris. A lot of times there's debris, lumber or cooler or something, and the, the fish gather under that. That's where the whole right. food chain starts. So 
Yeah, and we had them, oh my gosh, we had filled up the fish box. I swear, I think it was by like 8 a.m. I mean, wow. we had done the damage <laughs> on, nice. um, they were big-eyed tuna because it was early spring. And in fact, I distinctly remember they had a 55-gallon uh, gray plastic uh, trash can um, that you would use around the docks and stuff right. on board. And they put the fish nose first down in that thing and iced around it. So it's just his tail was hanging out on the top. Right? It was a big fish. Man. And um, yeah, I didn't know it at the time, but it, it seems like the, the crew was from the coast in Virginia and they maybe owned a restaurant or had seafood outlets or something. So um, after we caught all that fish, I'm pretty sure Captain Omi took us off the fish. I think he, he was, I think he decided that they'd had enough. Yeah. But I don't think we stayed out that long that day. Right. You know? I think we come, came came on back around eleven. You know. Didn't he do? He used to do the blessing of the fleet or something he like did. that. He did. That's how he's best known for, and uh, at that and the boat named Sportsman. He was really known for, well known for his boat, the Sportsman. But he yes. wasn't. A, he was not a builder though, was he? Yeah. Yeah. He did it all. They, yeah, was they, he really? I mean, he. They did it in the true. Okay, so I'm not exactly sure, but. Most of the captains back, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they were, you know, they had a hand in what their boat looked like. You know, they, they would, they may not lay down the keel, but they were in the boat barn and they were in the shop and they were helping, you know, to a degree. I'm pretty sure he had something to do with uh, the sportsman being built. But i tell you one thing, you can read that book, Carolina Flair by Jim, or uh, yeah, Jim and Neil Connolly, the Connolly family. And um, it's it's a coffee table book, and it's called Carolina Flair, and it really lays it all out there. It's exactly. very interesting if you're into that sort of thing. Carolina Flair describes the bow and the the way the sides of the bow come up to knock down the waves. The right. V, the V uh, shape of the Carolina boats, are, they're collectively known as. But um, yes, Omi. So that day we were out there and. Him and that and his mate, man, they just worked the clockwork, and you know, very little was said in between them. You know, sometimes right. you go out with people fishing, and they're, they're like yelling at each other right. the whole time, you know, and very little was said between the two of them. Honestly, Omi was fairly soft spoken, and um, it was the best day I ever had as an observer out at sea, and uh, felt very thankful that um, I got to go. And I subsequently, I did actually go to his house one time and talk to him, and. Man, he had these two cats in it. Their bellies were huge. He said something about tuna and dolphin, a lot of tuna and dolphin. So, Fed him the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. He was a very interesting man, and, and I felt very fortunate to get to, to meet him those couple times. So. And and he lived down in uh, Wanchies? Yeah, yeah. I think he was a little brick rancher, I'm pretty sure, and, right. uh, with his wife there and the cats. But um, he was very knowledgeable, uh, very knowledgeable. Another interesting boat guy I met was Vernon Davis. Uh, he uh, was one of the guys that built these speedboats that used to race around uh, Ice Plant Island, which is now Roanoke Island Festival Park. And um, he's kind of a cool, uh, was a very interesting man. Um, our friend Sean and I built a little uh, Sharpie, sharp uh, bow, sharp pointed bow, <laughs> sharp pointed boat. Uh, down at the Creek Boat Shop, and he would come by. He lived near there, and he would come by and give us tips and about how to build this boat. So he was a very interesting man. And, you know, I've met a lot of characters. Uh, you were asking about my time at the newspapers. I mean, 
this place has just changed so much. So that sure. I got out of Old Dominion in 87, bartended up there for the summer, but I came right down Labor Day. I got the job as a darkroom technician at the Outer Banks Current newspaper. And, you know, I just, I met one interesting person after another. I got to go to a lot of ribbon cuttings and openings of everything from the right. Chamber of Commerce building to the hospital to, you know, just, uh, let's see, Kitty Hawk Town Hall. I uh, was around when they moved Kill Devil Hills admin building from the oceanfront to where it's located now. <laughs> oceanfront. That's yeah, funny. that house came from the oceanfront. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, Diane St. Clair Baum had made that huge chunk of property there uh, available to the town, either at a reduced price or free or something. And it was all for municipal use, and the schools ended up going there. First life, right. elementary, middle, and high school, and the town hall. Uh, it's just amazing, and you know what seems like a relatively short period of time. It went from, you know, concrete streets to box stores. You know, we got Lowe's, yeah. and Home Depot, yeah. and, and some of these other franchises. Some of them for the better, some of it maybe not so much. Yeah, some of the characters is definitely left, and some of the characters have definitely left, and. You know, even my neighborhood now, um, we were talking about Soundside earlier, that the road used to end there. That was the northwest corner of this development I keep referring to of Avalon. And through that stretch, the road had never been paved. So, you know, having just a two-wheel drive truck, we would sometimes you know, have a couple of beers and we want to leave that way. We would peel out and take the truck up the sand, sandy road and <laughs> hope that you made it, you know, and right. it was just always kind of fun. And I ended up um, moving to, you know, up that way towards Hammond uh, is where I reside now. And uh, so, yeah, but that, that's since been paved and now it has a walking trail and <laughs> it has a public dock. And, Very sanitary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I, I try really hard to look at the bright side and you know, the town paid for a place for me to walk and exercise. And, sure. you know, that stuff is not cheap either. Those walking trails are very, you know, costly. And the Visitors Bureau kicked in on that. They've done a lot to change this place. They've they've done a lot. Yeah. So. It, it's been good. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, downplaying it at all. By the way, you know, my, my second child was born on the side of the road because we couldn't get up to Virginia fast enough. <laughs> you know? yeah. We didn't have a hospital back then to uh, give birth to anybody. And I know we're kind of uh, backtracking a little bit, but tell me about the One Finger Wave. The One Finger Wave. Oh, boy, that's a great one. So uh, when I first got down here, um, I was hanging out with this guy, uh, uh, Craig Saunders, and uh, I was his carpenter's helper, and uh, he was teaching me how to, to, to be a helper, and uh, he did also take me surfing a handful of times, and he had a nice, fairly new Ford, light blue Ford truck, and uh, uh, we'd be driving. There was a lot of driving back and forth to get materials into the job site, and he lived in Collington, and I would go back there with him from time to time. And one thing he always did that I thought was unusual that, you know, I'd never owned a car, and living in Charlottesville, I always either borrowed my dad's car or rode with someone else. Right. But one thing that Craig did that was unusual, we'd be going down the road, and he would have both hands on the wheel at 10 and 2 and he would raise up one of his fingers his pointer finger like on his left hand when we were passing somebody coming on coming oncoming traffic so if another truck was coming at us you just raise your finger up right 
like an inch <laughs> and back down. And I finally said, what, you know, are you waving to that guy? You know, and he's like, yeah, that's a one finger wave. You know, so that was, that was interesting. I, we were talking about, it was fairly sleepy here. Like uh, we used right. to joke, even, even in the late eighties, we used to joke about, you know, when the season was over, you just roll out the tumbleweeds and stuff and the bars would start closing down and it was a different animal than it is now. But, uh, Another thing that happened that same year that uh, I ended up uh, leaving the one organization uh, on at the end of December and starting off with Joe Finn uh, the beginning of January of 82. And I'll never forget one morning uh, we were heading north on uh, on the beach road in Kitty Hawk and uh, cruising down the road and not much going on. It's kind of a dark, gloomy, right. you know, winter, Outer Banks winter day. And... Uh, there's a, another truck approaching and they're, you know, coming heading south and we're in the other lane heading north and Joe starts slowing down and we're in the middle of the road and he stops and he rolls his window down. Another guy stops, rolls his window down and they started talking and drinking their coffee and they're all, you know, talking about helping each other get some handrail work or some siding work and stuff. And, you know, given how people are today down here where it's everything's rush, 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 push, right. push, push. You know, back then, it's really not that long ago, in the winter of 82, you wanted to stop and talk to somebody face-to-face right. -face in the middle of the beach road, and nobody was behind you beeping their horn, and there was no hurry, there was no push. <laughs> and it, it was just a different animal, you know. It, uh, the carpenters, they didn't have big jacked-up four-wheel drives with the big metal toolboxes and, uh, you know, the big tires and four-wheel drive and everything. You know, we, we, we had simple... A lot of them, you know, had rusted out already, and a lot of guys would just take that off and have a flatbed, a wooden flatbed is what you drove around. And, you know, you had to be somewhat of a mechanic to keep sure. it all going. You know, you were going to carry water with you to dump in your radiator, especially if you were going to Corova with two-wheel drive. Right. That was, it was a tough, yeah. that was a tough thing. You yeah. had to be resourceful. You did. And, um, you know, the Outer Banks people that have lived here forever, they are resourceful and they, right. you know, they depend on themselves, you know, it's... Uh, so yeah, having all these auto shops down here now, and it's just changed the box stores. And, you know, it used to be, you went to guards or you went to uh, 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 Gray's department store, to, you know, to get, get your stuff. And now, you know, we have everything, so. Right, well, let me throw a curveball at you. Yeah, sure. You step in your time machine, I'm sending you back to 1985. Okay. Where are you gonna go? It's you're hungry. Where are you gonna go in 1985? Oh, gosh, that is a good one. No budget. <laughs> okay, I, that would be that would be awful. Authors at the bar, you drink draft beer and get the clams. They were the cheapest thing on the menu. You get a whole big right? tray of clams for four or five dollars, six dollars. And the beer was also inexpensive. My buddy Sean Yacobi and I used to go up there after having having a good surf session or something. We'd go up there and eat and drink on very little money. Boy, you're stumping me a little bit. I mean, today when I said no budget, I meant you know you could do whatever. Oh, you when want. I could, you were oh, you had no budget. Big. Sorry. Oh, go big. Oh well, it would be Owens for sure. I mean, good God, love that place, Owens, which um, is still open. Yes, they are. I uh, hadn't been in a while. I'd like to get there. Today, we like Tortugas a lot. Um, really right. into Tortugas and uh, got a lot of fresh 
and healthy foods. Um, yeah, unfortunately, there's a pandemic right now, so we uh, don't get yeah. to eat out as much as we'd like. No, we don't. No, we don't. And uh, I guess, you know, Ophelotis was really my go-to spot in, in, right. in that time it's, period. It's still a classic spot. Yeah. And probably, you know, I'd recommend people to go there in the off-season more so than in-season because you're probably going to wait around for a couple hours yeah. to get inside in the summertime. But it's still, it's still got that classic look to it, inside and out. Yes, it does. It does. Um, well, I tell you what, Daryl, you got me all hungry. Uh, let's go get something. To eat. All right, let's do it, man. All right, man. Thanks for coming on the show uh, today. Hey, thank you for having me. You bet. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you enjoyed these stories. I think the Outer Banks is a special place, and sharing it with other people who love the Outer Banks is a real privilege for me. If you have a specific topic you'd like to hear or a specific person, please leave a note in the comments, and I'll see what I can do. Remember, if you want to find treasure on the Outer Banks, just talk to a local.